Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is The Bee Podcast. Thanks for joining me today, friends. I'm your host, Cami Milliken. According to the CDC, breast cancer continues to be among the most common forms of cancer reported. Unfortunately, this type of cancer also has a high death rate. Today, we hear from Abby Leonard, who survived her diagnosis of breast cancer. Abby shares with us today her unique perspective on her diagnosis and prognosis. Listen into her story of beating breast cancer. Hi, guys. I am here with Abby Leonard. Abby, how are you? I'm good. Good. I'm so thankful that you're here and you're willing to share. So how was your day today? Oh, my. <laughs> it is April in second grade. <laughs> So yeah, it's a little nutty, mm-hmm. a little nutty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, That's a common um, theme that I've heard mm-hmm. from lots of teachers lately. Yes. Well, I, I get it, girlfriend. So yep. let's dive into who you are. Talk to us about your family, your career, your hobbies. Yeah. So um, family, I'm married to Jeff. We've been married about five years. Um, been together, gosh, seven well, over between seven and eight years, something like that. Um, between us, we have four kids. Um, he has uh, Carson and Megan, and I have Mac and Ben. Uh, Mac and Ben live at our house. Carson is 17, and uh, Megan is 20. So they kind of, they come and visit quite a bit. They come over um, about every Sunday, maybe every other Sunday or so. We have dinner together, so been teaching 27 years. Seems like a really long time when I say it. Mm-hmm. Um, six years in special ed, and then I've been 21 years at Horseman in second grade. So um, same old, same old classroom for 21 That's so years. Cool. I love so, that. That's yeah. really cool. Talk yeah. about nostalgia. So, yeah. yeah. And I was a, a student at Horseman too. So that, yeah, starting in third grade, third through sixth grade. So there are some days that I walk down the hall that I get a little flashback of, oh yeah. Hmm. Did you attend class in the class that you're teaching? I didn't. Oh. No, no. At the time, I think it was like a first grade classroom. And so I was, I was never in there, but. So Abby, you have agreed to talk about your journey through breast cancer diagnosis and prognosis and treatment. So Let's just start by talking about the normalcy of life and what it was before your diagnosis. Describe kind of your normal day-to-day before. Yeah, yeah. So um, teaching, obviously. Um, I was pretty involved with choir at my church. So going to choir practice. Um, My son, Ben, at the time was seven. Um, And so he was in swim team. Over the course of the time, he was, I had run him to baseball practice, basketball practice, 
um, at the time my daughter was in eighth grade and was running track. So kind of all during the time that I was um, being diagnosed and kind of all through that, it was just running kids and going to work and pretty uh, busy um, time and time in my life. So normal, busy day to day. Yeah. Yeah. How, when did you notice something different? Yeah. So in early March of 2019, um, I did notice a lump in the lower half of my left breast, um, during a, just a routine self-exam. And, um, I didn't tell anybody, didn't tell a soul and thought that, and honestly, I'd kind of talked myself into, oh, it, it's not there anymore. And then it's, it'd be like the next day. Oh, nope. It's there. Oh, you know what? I really should call. I really should call. And then the next day, oh, I don't feel it. Oh, it must be gone. And so I just kind of back and forth and back and forth until I, that probably went about two weeks. And um, I finally, I finally called Dr. Bittner, who is my um, gynecologist and had delivered um, Ben. And I, you know, I said, I didn't tell anybody. My, my husband is quite the worrier and he's kind of the worst case scenario guy. And I just kind of didn't need him to, you know, I, I didn't want to worry him. I didn't, you know, I'm like, this is, this is not a thing. It's fine. I, I made the appointment with Dr. Bittner, but at the exact same time, I was really, I was due for a mammogram. I was somewhat, you know, late um, in that, like maybe a month or so I was past where, when I was supposed to have one. So I simultaneously called the hospital and scheduled a mammogram. And luckily I got a Dr. Bittner appointment. It was like the middle of April, like April 15th. And the very next day I was scheduled for a mammogram and it was just, you know, your runner of the mill annual mammogram. I go in for my appointment with Dr. Bittner and, you know, he just palpates the area and he's, he's, he can feel it too. So at that point he's like, yeah, you know, you were really, you were really right to come in and good for you for doing self exams. Because he said, I'm going to tell you 75 to 80% of the women that walk through the door do not do self breast exams. And he said, it's, it's amazing the number of women who do not. So good for you. So I said, okay, well, I thought pretty good about that. Um, but he said, uh, and that you've, and the nurse said, good job, you know, getting the, the mammogram scheduled for the very next day. But however, then I got scolded a little bit because it, the mammogram that I needed was not uh, just your run of the mill mammogram. It was sure. a little bit different, you know, diagnostic and whatnot. So they, um, changed it, went the next day, had the mammogram. They also added in ultrasound because they thought, you know, if if whatever is not caught on the mammogram, you know, certainly the ultrasound would catch um, anything. And so um, had the mammogram. Uh, Every time I've gone, well, 
about every time I've gone. I've gone yearly since I was 40. So I, this is my seventh mammogram. And um, about every year, they would tell me, you have dense uh, breast tissue, which oh, yeah. I've, I've since talked to many women who have told me, oh, yeah, they tell me that too. So um, they said that basically that is the equivalent of, you know, finding a sliver of glass in a pile of snow. Um, so it, it is challenging to find yeah. if, if there's something that is not quite right. So um, I had my mammogram, had the ultrasound, like, okay, it's fine, you know. And, um, you know, you, all, you get that letter in the mail with says everything's fine with the little smiley space, the little uh, smiley stamp. And I received that letter in the mail. Oh. Yeah, everything's fine. Everything's great. And I thought, okay, well, so um, I think it was about the very next day after I'd received the letter in the mail that Dr. Bittner's office, the nurse called and she said, Dr. Bittner doesn't agree that everything is fine. And so he would really like for you to go to see Dr. Ortel, the general surgeon, for a needle biopsy. And so I thought, oh, this sounds a little more serious. Okay. Uh, so I, I got in. That was not until um, April 25th that I went in to see uh, Dr. Ortel. And he did, he did the biopsy. Is that pretty quick? for since I mean I'm thinking April 15th and then 16th you go back in and yeah is, is that a pretty quick I time I think um being able to turn turn around and see him I saw him like with yeah within 10 days of seeing Dr. Bittner I felt pretty good about that that they were able to get me in that quickly okay. um Yeah. I mean, they were very accommodating, I guess. And I think Dr. Bittner just wanted to know what's going on here too. You know, it, it was, and, you know, and to ease any fears or any questioning, you know, that I had, of course, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, everything's fine. They told me it was fine. Well, and I mean, to feel something and then receive a letter stating that things are okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, but yeah. what is the thing that I'm feeling? Right. So those aren't able to pick up benign tumors either. You know, is it just I, the tissue, the breast tissue is just so dense, even for, but that's interesting that they would be able to, that you'd right. be able to feel but it, can, but they can't see it. That's feel I'm, it. Yeah. Good thing I'm not a medical professional. Right, right. And I, I mean, it just, and over and over again, there are things throughout my journey that, that go back to everything's fine. And then, so I get the needle biopsy, which was quite painful. And I kind of put it out of my mind, quite honestly. I didn't sit by the, you know, sit by my computer, sit by the phone. I didn't think about it. It's kind of a really weird time that I, I, I wasn't, anxious. I wasn't nervous. I wasn't concerned. I just kind of 
let it go. I woke up on May 2nd. So this is, you know, another week or so later Mm -hmm. and just happened to pick up my phone. And I had an email that um, I was supposed to go back that afternoon at four o'clock to see Dr. Ortel to get my results. So I didn't, I mean, that's when I was going to get my results was four o'clock that afternoon. Didn't even think anything of it. So I picked up my phone and I have an email from my chart, which is connected through the hospital. And anytime you sign up for those things and I had test results. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll read them. It was six o'clock in the morning. Husband is next to me in bed, sound asleep. And I pop open my email and I start reading through and I just was like, that can't be what that says. So I threw my phone down, ran downstairs, grabs my, grab my laptop, look on it on my email on my laptop. Cause I thought, well, certainly I'm not reading this correctly on my phone. And no, nope, I was invasive uh, lobular carcinoma. And carcinoma, that sounds like cancer. Yeah, it is. So I just completely like fell apart. You know, I just, I had always thought in the back of my head that this was a possibility. My grandmother had breast cancer before age 50 or around that age. I had a first cousin who was diagnosed. She's just a year older than I am. And she was diagnosed in just the year before I was diagnosed. So I thought, well, you know, it's a possibility, but you never want to think, well, that happens to other people. You know, it's not going to happen to me. So I knew that there was no way that I could go to school that day. So I called, you know, I got it arranged for a sub and ran to my classroom and wrote sub plans. And because I already had, the follow-up appointment scheduled for that afternoon at four, I thought, I cannot wait until four o'clock. I have got to. So I called and they were able to get me in a little bit. I think it was like noon. Jeff was able to take the day off so he could go with me. Dr. Ortel, you know, he, he apologized at the test results. You know, I was, I saw those before he was able to tell me. And it, and it is, I mean, when you sign up for the, my chart, you get what you get, you know, you, you want to have that information and you don't get to really choose when, when you see it. So he explained all of the lab results and things to me. And really at that point, the, the discussion was, you know, do I do a lumpectomy? Do I do a mastectomy? Do I do a bilateral mastectomy? And um, he really thought at that point that, the lumpectomy would be enough. You know, just just go in, take out the tumor. You know, maybe he said, maybe in a year or so, I'll hook you up with a plastic surgeon and they'll be able to, you know, kind of make it look uh, like it was. And based on the type of cancer and factoring in that my young age, which I, I was under 50, so... Um, 47. So um, he thought he was, he really speculated that I would need radiation and chemo. And it was like, wow, you know, that, that was really the hardest thing to take. So 
on the way home, you know, so that, you know, we stop by my mom's and, and we tell her and, you know, she was, that's the hardest. That was really, um, my oh, mom yeah. is like one of these. Yeah. Cause she always, you know, used to say, we're so blessed. You know, we just really haven't had anybody in our family have any health issues. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, we can't say that anymore, you know? So that was really hard. Did you go to worst case scenario in your head when you saw those results and when you talked to Dr. Ortel, did he help you feel any better about? He totally did. Yeah. He really put me at ease. And honestly, at that point, I thought, oh, well, this is just a little, a little lump. We'll just take a little, you know, have a little, little, uh, surgery. It's just, you know, it's cancer, but it's a, it's a, it's a lowercase C cancer. It's, it's not, it's not a big deal. And, um, at the time, uh, a very good friend of mine that I worked with had been going through cancer treatments and we'd had a benefit for him. And, and it, it just, you know, he, he was going through some pretty big treatments and I compared myself to him. Oh, well, mine's just a little blip in the road. You know, mine, mine is, it's, yours is the big deal. Mine, that's not a big deal. It's fine. I just, I just have a little bit of cancer. That probably got me through um, some of the hard, you know, times when I m- might have gone and thought worst case scenario, because I could always compare myself to him. Sure. And, and that, that was it. So yeah, until, um, there were, you know, sometimes when I did have a student, I think it was the, the year before I was diagnosed that his mother had had breast cancer previous, like when he was in the, the like maybe first grade. Um, she'd had breast cancer and she um, ended up with a brain tumor. It had metastasized to her brain. The whole year that I had him in class, she had brain surgery after brain surgery. And in the weeks, just, just after second grade, after he had left me, she passed away. And so that, that was always right there. Wow. That's really yeah. heavy to think about. Yeah. So yeah. at, I mean, you're, you're giving yourself these pep talks, like it's okay. It's going to be fine. Yeah. But at the same time in the, like the small voice in the back of your mind is worst case scenario. Right. Yeah. This happened to her. Uh, so every little headache, every little, yeah. you know, since then, you know, you, it's like, oh, well, this is it. This is it. Now I have a brain tumor. And so, you know, I, I kind of go in and out of that a little bit and just always talk myself out of, oh, you're fine. You know, you're fine. So, and that, you know, that even goes back to when I first felt, you know, the lump, if, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have pain. So there, obviously there's nothing wrong with me because I don't have any pain. But cancer doesn't 
necessarily have pain associated with it. Breast cancer, especially, there's just a lump. And if you don't catch it, and, and Dr. Rattel said, my, my tumor was pretty slow growing and I could have had it for two years. And, you know, all the, those mammograms, you know, that I'd had that had not caught it. And then here it was. It's interesting as you're talking about kind of not feeling safe in your own body. It reminds me of like a break-in, you know, where like if your car is broken into or your home is broken into, it feels like a betrayal right? and you can't feel safe in your own home but this is your body. Yeah. Yeah. That's, we don't have to talk about this now, but Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know how, you know, since your recovery, how you have refocused your brain into Mm -hmm. peace with things. So what we can get, we can get to that later, but. So, and, and yeah, that is an interesting part of kind of where I am now, but they went ahead and did the lumpectomy um, in May of 2019. And I thought, okay, and we're done. Well, when they do a lumpectomy, well, any breast cancer surgery, they go in to your sentinel lobe, the node, uh, which is the very first lymph node that is in your armpit. Essentially, it's the big one. And they test it while basically they run it off to the lab and the surgeon, you know, surgeon just waits for the results. Like, what am I going to do here? If the, it's clear, then we're good to go. Then I'll just, you know, remove the lump and and seal her back up, and and we go on with our day. But if the lab results come back that that sentinel node it has cancer, then they have to go into the other lymph nodes, and they take. You have roughly 30 lymph nodes in your um, axillary is what they call it, your armpit. And mine came back positive. Of course. And of course, they took about 15 total. And I had three, three that were positive um, total. So are there still some in there that he didn't happen to take, but did have some cancer? You know, I... When you go back to talking about, uh, you know, your body betraying you, I don't know. Do I have that in, you know, I've never had anybody tell me you're cancer free. They don't use those words, you know. So now the treatments that I have done, I ended up going to, I have a medical oncologist in Fairfield um, who my first visit to him, he told me that I would have radiation. I'm sure he's like, he wasn't in charge of the radiation, but he's like, oh, you'll have radiation. And then you'll have chemotherapy. And he explained, you know, even the, the levels and things that I would have for chemotherapy. And I just remember being like calm. And then the nurse said, are you okay? And I just tears streaming, you know, and my daughter, um, my stepdaughter, Megan was graduating and we had her graduation party was like within days of that. 
of right after my lumpectomy. So it was just like all of this just piled on, just piled on. I go back for my um, follow-up appointment after um, I've been to Dr. Ortel and, oh, I want to back up just a minute. Before my lumpectomy, um, I forgot to, um, Dr. Ortel wanted to make sure that he knew how big the tumor was. And so he sent me to Des Moines. I had a special breast MRI and the doctor that read the MRI results that um, told me, oh, it's not in your lymph nodes. And then Dr. Ortel takes 15 and then, out and three right, are positive. Right. So the, again, you know, it's like one thing after another. Everything's fine. No, it's not. Everything's fine. No, it's not. Um, so it, you, you start to not really trust, you know, the, the test results and you'd start to um, all of so that. So it's hard to even have hope even in, yeah. did you catch yourself wanting to be hopeful, but then you're like, better not. Yeah. Yep. Better not after, you know, after a while, I just was like, mm, this is going to turn bad. Um, I did have one bright spot. Um, I finally, so I had my follow-up appointment with Dr. Ortel on the 31st. And here's a, another low before the bright spot, I guess. He said the pathology came back and from my, from my first surgery, the lumpectomy, and I had dirty margins, which means they didn't get it all. Oh it was, gosh. yeah. So what they had, basically the MRA had shown him was that the tumor was approximately, I think, three centimeters long. In the end... We'll come to find out that the tumor was about the size of a crayon. It's about five centimeters long. Okay. And so it's it's considerably long. It's it's yeah, if you picture a crayon, that's pretty much what it felt like. At this point, he said, you know, Dr. Ortel says, I think the best course of action is def is is to just to go ahead and do a mastectomy. And I had, you know, a, a choice to make. Do I just do a single mastectomy or do I go ahead and do bilateral? If I, if I did single, would I just later on come back and decide I needed to do the other side? If it came back, you know, it might come back in the right side. So it wasn't really as hard of a decision as I thought it would be. And I, I just said, you know, let's just go ahead and do both. So we scheduled that. And this is days after Megan's graduation. Yes. Like yes. the 31st. So yep. like the 24th, yep. 25th is when. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. So yep. it's, life, it's so weird because life is yeah. going on. Life is going on. Life is going on. But you're faced with these like huge mountains mm-hmm. that you have to climb. Did you ever experience, you described the lows of receiving that information, mm-hmm. but can you describe like your headspace during those times? Were you unable to get out of bed? Did you feel kind of debilitated by it? Or did you know that I I have to keep going? I just have to keep going. How did you cope? Yeah, pretty much just had to keep going. And I just kind of a numb, numb, numbness, really just, just getting through, 
Yeah, definitely. Like, <laughs> I remember when I went to her, you know, graduation and graduation party and I was wrapped in, you know, bandages and, um, and I don't know if, if people knew that I'd had surgery, they might be able to tell that I was not quite together, but I tried to try to have it together. Yeah. That was hard to get through, um, to, to, to be as normal as I could for her right? Um, too. And then yeah. five days later, you know, you make the decision to yeah. do a bilateral mastectomy and yeah. then, I mean, things really start to, um, we decided that we would schedule the, the mastectomy for July 3rd. Um, so it's going to give me some time. We had already had a vacation scheduled um, for June. And he said, you know what? This tumor has been growing. You know, it's slow growing. It's been, you've probably had it two, maybe three years you've had this. So waiting another month is not, it's fine. He said, go have your vacation. And um, so we scheduled it for July 3rd, knowing that that Jeff would have some time off of work over um, the 4th of July holiday and could be home with me for a little bit. Just before we went on vacation, I had my second visit with my medical oncologist and I received much better news based on what he could see from the pathology report from after the lumpectomy, because I'd visited him the first time before the lumpectomy, um, he said that the type of tumor that I had, uh, I would not have chemotherapy. That uh, I have what's, I had what's called HRPR positive, HER2 negative, um, which means that my tumor and subsequent, if I have any subsequent cancer in my body, was estrogen fed. So I have to take uh, tamoxifen, tamoxifen, which is a, an estrogen blocker, essentially. Now, some, some doctors think, well, five years isn't enough. And so uh, they suggest you take it for 10 years. I'm, I'm hoping for five <laughs> because it's really, it's really something. It's, you know, night sweats and hot flashes. I was going to ask how it affects. So then as far as yeah. menopause later in your life, what, I mean, what yeah. did they inform you of with that? So um, I had a hysterectomy in 2014. Okay. And so I'm left with my ovaries um, from that. But yeah, basically it just... It's, it's the hot flashes, it's the night sweats, it's that kind of thing that um, is the worst. Um, another thing that is a side effect from my, it was my first surgery, my lumpectomy, when they take those lymph nodes out, um, it's not, it doesn't happen every time, but when they have to take that many, um, a lot of times you end up with lymphedema in, oh, in that arm. Yeah. And so basically the whole underside of my upper arm is, was numb, 
um, because of they cut through the axle in the axillary, they cut through those nerves. And then, um, you know, those lymph nodes, they do, they do so much. You don't even realize you take for granted, you know, all that they're doing. And then when you only have half of them, uh, I had it explained to me that it was basically what, uh, if your lymph nodes are doing what they're supposed to be doing and you have like a eight lane highway, you know, and, and everything's flowing and everything's great. And it's, it's just, it's doing everything it's supposed to do. And, and then he said, um, then we took half of your lymph nodes. So now you're down to about a four lane highway. And so that's, that's great. And then radiation then cuts you down to about a two lane highway. (laughs) Um, he said, and some days you're going to feel like you have a level B road, that just things just don't, things are just not good. So, um, that, and that happened to me. Um, I had, I had, I had to wear a sleeve on my arm. Um, I had a fantastic um, uh, physical therapist, doctor of physical therapy, Dr. Lily Wells, that's in Fairfield, that um, I so, so happy that I met uh, her. She helped me with the lymphedema and then she was able to get me a pump that uh, it's like a a giant sleeve that you put on your arm and it squeezes from your wrist up through your chest and pushes it across because all of that lymph needs to go from your hand up your arm and then basically into the middle of your body where then it goes out. So um, all of that action, when you only have half of your lymph nodes, it kind of goes away. So. Yeah. And those are things that when you think about breast cancer, it might not trigger yeah. to think about. Yeah. Cause that really is the worst. It's, it's, it's not the breast cancer itself necessarily. It's all of the things, the treatment caught, you know, that, that, that comes with the treatment and you know, people that have to have chemotherapy and um, the side effects from that is terrible and the lymphedema and um, radiation. And I started re- radiation then. So I had my, my uh, bilater- bilateral mastectomy then July 3rd and then um, healed up from that pretty well. That was that was more of an emotional thing that I thought it would be mostly because I just, I'd never had, I mean, I'd had surgeries before, but it was just pity party. You know, I threw myself a big old pity party and I, I tried to get out of it pretty quickly, but I remember Jeff and Ben um, going down to the park for the central, like a Fridays at five, Fridays mm-hmm. after five at the park. Oh, you should come with us. You should come with us. No, nope, I'm not coming. And they left. And then I was like, what am I doing? I need to get out. You know, I just, I can't stay home forever. So I got myself together and I, I went down, but it was just those kinds of things that I just wanted to not partake, you know, in, in, be social and 
I mean, that's understandable considering yeah. you had for, I mean, this all took place within five months. Like, yes. And you yeah. had, you know, kind of numbed and went on and done, right. I, you, you had done what you needed to do in order to, to keep your family going and keep yourself yeah. going and kind of keep your hope alive. But it's pretty final. It must have felt very final when yeah. you did have that because yeah. that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely, um, it was more emotional than I thought yeah. it, it really would be. And then I was fine. I mean, quite honestly, I, um, I started my radiation. Um, you go into, when, when you have radiation, you like have a consult. And at the time, the radiation oncologist, there really wasn't one here in Ottumwa. They had one that would come from Iowa City my very, very first visit, I never, and I never saw him again, uh, was a doctor from Iowa City. And he gave me some really good advice, and I wish I would have followed it. Um, he told me that I should be doing yoga every day for like the next three years. He says, you're going to need that. And I wish I would have taken his advice <laughs> because there's time that I'm like, I feel like I'm about 90 years old. I should be doing this yoga <laughs> that he told me to do. So, um, and then I had, you know, had my consult and then they have you go in and they have, uh, uh, they do a CT uh, scan of your body and they do, um, they did for me anyway, three different tattoos, one in the middle of my chest and then um, the two on the sides. And that's how they can line up the, the radiation machine to the exact same spot every single time. Okay. Yep. So I had that at the end of July. And then my first radiation uh, treatment was the 7th of August. And when you have radiation, most time, in my case, and I, and I feel like this is generally um, speaking, it's six weeks of every single day, uh, Monday through Friday. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, and it's about 30 minutes. And you go in and 20 to 30 minutes, you know, they, you lie down, they bring the machine over, and um, it's like an x-ray. It doesn't hurt, it, but it after a while, your skin starts to really show signs of um, severe sunburn, almost, really. My skin in that area got to be very, very brown, like it was cooked, and, and I had where it was just kind of peeling a little bit, too. So they did take... Uh, mercy on me. <laughs> the... the, the the doctor that I ended up having for the majority of my treatments was actually a retired radiation oncologist out of Iowa City who just kind of took on the gig until they could get somebody full-time in, in Ottumwa. And so remember, I was supposed to have 30 rounds of radiation. And at about 27, he says, I think we've tortured you enough. I think 
we're gonna we're gonna let you go. So um, that was they, yeah. That was an that was another up um, where yeah. I did not have to have to go all the way through. But so during that time, where holy cow, what a whirlwind! In within yeah. like six months ago, life mm-hmm. was good and normal, and mm-hmm. you weren't tortured by your thoughts. So when that darkness did creep in and you had those deepest, like those fears, who did you lean on and what kind of conversations did you have? I can imagine they would be all over the place. Well, first of all, I'll say I don't lean on other people very well. So a lot of it did just stay inside. Um, I did have some good conversations early, early on with, I had some women who were, you know, for friends or acquaintances that reached out to me as soon as they heard that I had a diagnosis. And so I, I did message back and forth, um, talk on the phone with, you know, some other women who had, um, been through it essentially. I had a good friend at the time whose sister who uh, had been diagnosed nearly the exact same timeline that I had. And she had a little bit different. She had to have chemo and I didn't. And, and that's, you know, that's the thing. People think, oh, you have cancer. Everybody has chemo. And that just, yeah, that just isn't the case. I was very fortunate to not, not have, have to have that. But so these women that you had, you know, shared Mm -hmm. experiences with, did you ever experience or remember a time where you did just like break down and let it out? No, I don't think so. Just continue to like, just continue to plug on. Yeah. Yeah. And I just didn't ever want to be, you know, known for that. Oh, you're, you know, I don't wear my pink ribbons, you know, and it's, and it's not like that's who I am. Because you are more than that, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel as though you don't want to, you know, have that attention because there are, you know, there are different circumstances that other women have who are more deserving of that? Or is it just Hmm. that you don't want to have that piece of your identity because then it feels final or is it something else? It doesn't have to be one or the other. (laughs) Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's not, and I don't, I don't mind talking about it at all. It it's, you know, it's something that I went through. It's something that I would be glad to talk to others about. um, If I could help, you know, somebody who was newly diagnosed or since then I've had friends, you know, that, Oh, I found a lump. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the test results. I'm what what's going to happen next? You know, and just trying to talk them through. Every case is different. You know, every yeah. there are different types of breast cancer that there are some that yes, you do have chemo and um so being known for being a cancer survivor, it doesn't necessarily bother me, but for a while especially before I had my reconstruction, I didn't want to be known as somebody who was sick, you know, that 
that it was, you know, the, the cancer was gone and, and I was flat chested for 15 months. I went with, uh, just, you know, and people are, Oh, you know, aren't you going to wear, you know, prosthetic and, and this, no, I had my, you know, my breast removed. I'm not hiding that It, it is what it is, you know? It would be pretty weird if suddenly all of this, you know, I, I have breasts again. You know, people might say, I thought I thought there was something wrong with, you know, you know. How and, inappropriate for people to even ask that in the first place. Like, right, are you going to, I'm right. sorry. I'm so sorry that my breasts are your business. Right. <laughs> are your business. They are not. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just, it it didn't ever bother me to just be flat chested, but I didn't, it, it, it you know, and, and it, it's a very personal thing. Yeah. It's for people to feel like they need, you know, to have breasts, to feel like a woman that, that is, and I will, and I would say, you know, I, when I thought that I was going to have chemo, I wanted to have control over something. I cut my hair off. I cut it off so short um, I didn't personally cut it, but, um, uh, my stylist, you know, she, she got out the clippers and she, I mean, she cut it pretty short and she said, you know, if you have chemo and you need to shave this, I will, I will do it for you. And, but that was the control. Sure. Cause I could, and I've done that. I've done that before and I've done it since I do, I do like to cut my hair. <laughs> Sometimes I grow it out just so I can cut it off. But I will say that without having breasts and, you know, the short hair, it was just like, I feel like now that I have had my reconstruction, I'm growing my hair out long again. It's just, I don't know, just to you talked about the emotion, the the emotional response that you had when you did have your bilateral mastectomy. In kind of reference to the conversation that we just had, can you describe what you were thinking during during that time where you were having that emotional response? Just getting through, you know. I I think I always like had... hitting you make it, it. It became real then. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was just real, but I also. I think I always knew that it wasn't permanent. I always knew that I was going to have reconstruction. And so I thought, well, this is just something I have to get through. Um, it's just like the radiation. Just had to get through it. Just had to get through, you know, this time. Well, you know, little did I know that COVID was going to hit <laughs> because with my my bilateral, my, my mastectomy was in July of 2019. I really could have had my reconstruction as early as probably March or so of 2020. I started with, you know, my appointment. I had my very first appointment was with a doctor, um, actually I'll back up just a little bit as I came out of my mastectomy my nurse that I had um for on the surgical floor was actually the OB floor at Atumwa she had actually had the same type of reconstructive surgery that I wanted to have 
And she um, talked me through it. She suggested who, which, which doctor I should go to. And uh, she even flashed me. She's like, do you want to see him? <laughs> I'm like, well, absolutely. I want to see him. <laughs> I'm like, okay, sign me up for those. I want those. That was, yeah. So I get an appointment with that doctor in, in Des Moines. We go to see him. It's like, December or like March, let's say March 25th, 26th of 2020. So we're about, we're not to the point where everybody's wearing masks. We are to the point where at the, the hospital, it was, um, you can only go in certain doors. So it, that COVID was, COVID was happening, but it wasn't as like serious. Um, I feel like very shortly after that, it was like, yeah, you're not coming in. But this doctor tells me, I don't know why she, she told you to come to me. I don't do that surgery anymore. I haven't done that surgery since like May of 2018 or something like that. Like it had been a while. So I felt just really defeated because here we were, we were so excited. This was going to be, you know, we were going to get this scheduled and I was going to have the reconstruction and then nothing. Um, and the reason that he didn't do it anymore, it's because it, the surgery that I ended up having for reconstruction is takes two surgeons, um, two microsurgeons and their entire two surgery teams, two surgical teams. So it just tied up their practice for way too long, um, too many days and full days. So he did suggest, um, he referred me to Jared, Dr. Jared Keith in um, Iowa City. So I ended up going to um, University of Iowa um, Plastics and Reconstruction. My appointment there wasn't until July of 2020. I went to my appointment in um, July and definitely I decided that the deep flap was the way that I wanted to go. And deep um, is D-I-E-P. It stands for deep inferior epigastric perforator. That sounds, sounds like a transformer thing. I Abby. know, doesn't it? <laughs> I know. So... Essentially, what they do is they take your, they take an artery from your stomach area and they have to move it to your chest area. And then they take the, the fat, they take fat and um, blood vessels from your stomach area and make flaps, make, um, take your breast tissue that you have the, and the skin. Well, when you've had radiation, they have to basically, <laughs> double up that skin because your, your radiation, the radiated skin is just shot. So I decided that that's what I wanted. Um, you know, all the risks and all of it, just, I just decided going for it. So they finally, um, gave me a surgery date of March 4th of 2021. And so I was, settled with that. That was going to be a long time, but I was okay with that. And um, on the very first day of school, 
um, of this school year, so August 23rd, 24th, I had this really crazy, like weird sensation just kind of come over my body before I left for school that day that, and I, I just had this voice in my head that said, you're going to get a phone call today and they're going to offer you a new surgery date. I was like, that's really weird. That's a really, really weird thing, but okay. My kids had um, music that day and I was down in the lounge during my planning time and my phone rang and it said, Iowa City. And I nearly fainted. Yeah. <laughs> I nearly fainted. Yeah. So I answered the phone and she said, we'd like to offer you October 5th of 2020 if um, you would like to have that for your surgery date. And I just, I didn't know what to say. You know, I was just, I accepted it because I was like, sooner rather than later, you know, I'd rather do that. But also, you know, I was only six weeks in, I would be six weeks into the school year, which is a terrible time to leave, but I didn't want to wait, you know, I didn't want to wait till March. I told them that I would take it. I mean, we talked about the doubts and the, Mm -hmm. and the, you know, the subconscious fear that you kind of felt during that time, but did things seem and feel better after your, you know, skin started to heal after the mastectomy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. A reprieve of. Yeah. After the mastectomy, after the radiation, you know, for first you need, I couldn't even stand to look at myself, especially after, probably after the mastectomy was really, I mean, it was probably a few days, like I'm not going to shower. And it's like, Jeff's like, I think maybe you should shower. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's time for you to shower. And I just, I'm like, but if I shower, I'm going to have to look and I don't want to look, you know, I don't want to see that. I don't want to, because then it's like more real, you know, as long as I'm bandaged up, I don't know what that looks like. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that was probably quite honestly, that was probably the hardest time emotionally for, for that. And then just getting through the radiation healing. I had a good friend who gave me different salves and different, um, you know, lotions and potions and things, you know, that, that would, that would help to, to ease the, the burn, I guess, for lack of a better word, it's burning your skin. Burn. Yeah. Yeah. So when you had the conversation with your children Mm. about the little C, we're going to call it the little C. Yeah. When you had conversations with your children about that, how did they receive the news? What was their response? How did they deal with all of it? Yeah, you know, um, I I didn't really think it through very well. Um, I and I not that I would do it any that I would I could go back and do it any differently if I would change it. But the very first morning when I got the test results, and before I'd even been to the doctor. Um, you know, I ran and did my sub plans and came back home. And before Mac went to school, she's in eighth grade. Before she went to school that morning, I went down to her bedroom and they knew, my kids knew that I'd had tests done, that, that I'd had this needle biopsy done. 
They knew that I'd felt something when I finally confessed to everybody that I actually had felt something. So it, it wasn't completely out of the blue, but I just said, you know, it. the results that I got back were not the results, you know, that we'd hoped for and told her as much as I knew. And then I think I waited until that night. And I think then I did tell Ben, who would have only been seven at the time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, having... He, you know, he lost his daddy when he was five. So it was really not, he would have been eight. He would have been eight. Yeah. So three years after he lost. Did, and I mean, eight years old is pretty, I mean, old to understand some, yeah. some things. So how did yeah. Ben, how did Mac and Ben take it? Mac always deals with things that are emotional and uncomfortable with humor. So she um, could not say the words. And she said this to me within probably days after. She says, when I've been talking to my friends about this, I can't say the words breast cancer. I call it booby cancer. And that just, <laughs> she says, I can't say it. I can't say it, mom. I can't say it. And so it just, to make it less yeah, of a big deal, it was probably the same as me saying, you know, well, I have just a little bit of cancer, you know, right. it, little, it, C. It, it, little C. Yeah. Not, you know, my friend, well, he, he's got cancer. He's got I've the big just C. Got, I've just got, I've just got just a little. Yeah. I've just got a little. Yeah. And since then I've had a friend who had a cancer diagnosis. I had the same conversation with her because she keeps saying that my cancer, oh, your, your cancer is a big thing. You know, your, oh. what you went through was such a big deal and you're in all that you've gone through. She goes, Oh, well, mine, mine's just a little thing. I'm just going to have a little surgery and I'll be done. And praise God. That is the truth. That's what's happened for her. It, it is just really interesting that when you're faced with that and you try to deflect mine isn't as serious, you know, it makes you feel a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Makes you feel like a little better. Mine isn't as bad as yours. The illusion that we give ourselves, it's right. It's comforting. So your kids adjusted to those scary things yeah. well for the most yeah. part then? You know, and Ben, um, because he, you know, had already gone through such an emotional trauma and um, having been witnessed when his daddy passed away, um, when he was only five, um, and that feeling of loss, he's always been a clingy type. We call them barnacle Ben because he's always there. He, you know, he'd gotten away from that a little bit. And then with the diagnosis, he was back to sleeping on my floor. So, which was very understandable. It's probably for another, well, definitely probably eight, nine, 10 months. He probably more often than not, ended up on my floor um, just to be close and, and didn't really talk about it. I know now even like uh, last week, I had my very last appointment with my radiation oncologist. And they actually have a guy that's here now that is the radiation oncologist. Um, they don't, he lives here. And I was able to see him probably the last four or five times that I'd been there to the office. But he turned me loose, you know, and he said, you need to look for these 
you know, symptoms, if, if you have headaches, if you have this or that and um, blurry vision or um, extreme confusion or anything like that, then you, you know, need to, to get either back here or talk to Dr. Ortel or Dr. Vickis, um, my medical oncologist, but even been knowing that I had that it was just a checkup because I went like every three months to go see the radiation oncologist. And as soon as I said, I have an appointment there, why do you have an appointment? Yeah. Why, do, why, why do you have an appointment? It's just a checkup. You know, it's just a checkup. I just, they just want to talk to me, you know, so I kind of joked with them and just said, they just want to take my money. You know, <laughs> they, it's fine. They just want to chat with me and take my money. Um, Just to make him feel, you know, a little better about it, that there wouldn't be anything to worry about. Because I think about even when I told them the news, I wanted to make sure that I told them whatever I knew, because I didn't want them to imagine or come up with their own scenarios, you know, of of what what might be going on or what she's not telling me, what 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 is the real truth, you know? Well, and you talk about I mean, being a second grade teacher, Ben was in second grade when we found yeah, out, he was, right? He was in my classroom. Yeah, he was so, in my classroom that year. No, exactly. I mean, you were very familiar with second right. graders and the brain yeah. that they yeah. have in their heads and where they go mm-hmm. with all of their worst case scenarios. And Right, um, right. So, I mean... I'm certain that having that background of how to engage with children, mm-hmm. especially about sensitive issues like breast cancer, again, like you said, the unique experience that he had, you know, three years prior is a completely different story, but right. I mean, very, very relevant to right. loss and that he's Ben, been, man. That Ben, he's been through a ben. lot. <laughs> oh, that he's ben. so sweet. Yeah, he's a sweet boy you've gone through these, these big things and these, you've had these sprinkles of joy throughout where, Mm -hmm. you know, 27 radiation treatments and they let you off the hook and Mm -hmm. you did have those, those sprinkles of joy and um, learned lots of things about yourself and your family. I'm certain. So Abby, could you just share a little about what you learned about yourself personally? Well, I did, like I said, I didn't really lean on people too much, but I did learn to be better at that, I guess, um, when people would offer help or let us bring you dinner or let me, you know, my mom would come over. Can I clean your kitchen? Um, just saying yes, you know, just yes, thank you. Instead of no, no, you know, I'm it's hard for me to ask for help, which I think a lot of people that, you know, that is the case. So I learned, you know, I learned to, to accept help really was a big thing that I learned one day at a time, I guess is probably not try to, um, that everything's going to be, you know, great and plan, you know, years on in advance. And this is exactly what life is going to look like. Because you don't know. Yeah, that's really sobering to think about too. Mm-hmm. I mean, how often do we make plans for, you know, years in the future and only to right. have it kind of blow up in our face? Not necessarily in awful ways, but things. Yeah, are- but 
it's yeah. you can't you can't right. I mean, you can you can have an idea but right and sometimes you make different choices for yourself maybe you'd make a, a different career change or you make you know some of those things and then you know that is within your control it's the things that are with you know not within your control that are I don't know about you, but I am always trying to control my immediate mm-hmm. surroundings because mm-hmm. I feel safe and comfortable and mm-hmm. at ease. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But when your world is shaken with something that you can't control, it feels very offensive. Right. It does. And you try to take control over whatever you can. Um, yeah. You know, did so you-, you cut your hair off? Yeah, I was just going to say, I was just going to ask, yeah. what were there things that you yeah. knew that, okay, this is one thing, this is a tangible thing that I can control. So I'm yeah. going to do that. Yep. So yeah, I cut, you know, cut my hair off and gosh, I'm trying to think, I think I bought a new bedroom furniture and, you know, it's just like things that were like, you know what, I can do that. I, you know, I, I want to change, you know, and I have control over that. And just uh, those kinds of things that make you feel better, I guess, Mm -hmm. at the time, because you're just at the mercy of whatever, you know, is going to happen to you. Right. Which is kind of leads into that whole topic or that, that thought of having your body betray you and finding your peace again. So after all of this, Abby, then how, how did you find peace and kind of retrain your brain? Is it still a work in progress? Yeah, it's still a work in progress. There's still times. Um, I would say it was worse when I first started taking the tamoxifen because I had like this really bad headache that would flare up in the back of my head. And that was like, oh no, this is it. You know, this is, this is it. This is the tumor. This is the tumor that's coming in my head now. And, and I've gotten past that. The headaches, you know, went away and those kinds of things. Post reconstructive surgery, this surgery, uh, when they go in through your abdomen, it's basically, I have an incision from hip to hip. Now I, feel things that are not cancer related necessarily, but from that surgery, you know, it's like, Oh, do I have, you know, I have a little lump down there. Is it, what is it? Do I have hernia? Do I have, you know, it's, so it's, it's just another layer of worry, concern. Do I need to call the doctor? <laughs> you know, do I need to, or do I just let this go, you know, and and wait till the next checkup that I go and, and, and talk to him about it. So yeah, I do have one more procedure that is going to be in middle of June. And that's just to fill in my non-radiated side is just, um, I just have a little bit of a divot up here in my chest. And so they're going to go in and take something, I don't know, for my hips or something. I'm like, I got plenty to give. So take all you want, take all you want. And then a little more if you want to and throw it away. I don't need it all up here, but, uh, but um, you know, just, you know, the, the, my original surgery was nine and a half hours. They said it could be nine and a half to like, you know, nine to 11 hours. Jeff could tell you, he's, he just kept, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? I mean, up until like the morning of, like I'm in the pre-op room, you know, and the, and the doctor has come in and he has marked on me and all of this stuff. Are you sure? 
And I never, I was so sure. And I never, I was, I wasn't even scared. I just like, let's go, you know, let's let's do do this. So as you're talking about Jeff, I'm curious mm -hmm. to know what, through this entire experience, what did you learn about your husband? He's a pretty good nurse. Yeah. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Um, with these surgeries, you have surgical drains. Um, they're called Jackson Pratt drains, which are just lovely. Um, he kind of took it upon himself and would become offended if I tried to do it myself. Um, he wanted to be the one that would strip the drains and empty them and take care of all of that for me. So he did a lot of that um, with, especially with my reconstructive surgery, because I had the surgical sites were, you know, kind of, I felt I was like a big old mess. You know, it, it, it was a lot. And again, didn't really want to shower because I didn't really want to look at it. Didn't really want to, but um, <laughs> he, and, and I couldn't stand up straight. And so he would have to be there if I did shower um, or if finally when I was kind of able to shower just on my own, he would have to stand in the bedroom and wait for me to come out and helped me to um, rebandage things. And um, yeah, so he just, you know, I always knew he'd do anything for me. And he, you know, he tells me that all the time. I do anything for you. Um, He's, yeah, he's proven that. He means it. And you he, know means he means it. it. Yeah. And I know that he means it. So I just think about people who don't have anybody, you know, any sort of support system. I'm on a Facebook group with ladies who have had the same reconstructive surgery that I have. And, and consequently, you know, they've, a lot of them have had the same cancer journey or similar cancer journey. And, you know, they'll say that I don't, you know, how, 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 how will I get by? I don't have anybody that lives with me. And I just think, Oh, wow. oh that's hard. You better get somebody, you know, to come in. It, it, it just really, it was something that I needed. Um, you know, I didn't need to have somebody with me all the time. Um, although my mom came in and, and was with me for the first week or so during the day, just in case I needed something. Um, but just emotionally, even, you know, just to have somebody that you didn't feel like you were alone is really important. Well, cancer in itself can, I'm certain make you feel alone enough. Right. Yeah. And then to, to physically be alone, that has to be another Mm -hmm. level of, of scary. Right. What did you learn about your four children that they were pretty resilient basically and like I said didn't necessarily want to talk about it but if there was something you know that they knew that they could ask I definitely learned that my that Mac and Ben especially should not be in the medical field (laughs) um they they didn't want to have any part of my uh uh you know, bandaging or like anything, like they didn't want to see a any little of squeamish, it. Yeah. a little squeamish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little squeamish. I, I feel that through it all, they 
became a little bit more independent. Mac has always been pretty independent. And it might be just the age, you know, for Ben too. He's kind of, now that he's 10, becoming more independent through it all. But knowing that things, you you go through rough times and come through the other side and, and things are, are good now, you know. Not letting yourself kind of go into that headspace of worst case scenario. And, right. Yeah. Um, right. Because it doesn't serve a purpose. What right. purpose does it serve? Yeah. And I don't want them to think about, you know, my mom, cancer survivor, you know, all the time. I don't want them, you know, it's fine if they want to think about, oh, wow, you know, my mom really went through a lot, you know, and and I and I'm going to say I do throw it out there every once in a while as we were shoveling snow this winter <laughs> and so much snow so much snow on the driveway and um my children are and and Matt lifts weights like every day so I mean yeah. you know but they were both complaining oh this is a lot this is oh I'm so tired and I'm like listen listen are you if are you really that are you tired, tired? <laughs> look at me I said I am 49 years old, I am a cancer survivor with lymphedema, and I just had major abdominal surgery just months ago. Really? Are you not able to scoop this snow? Oh, yeah, you got it right. You got a, you got a, you got a point there. Yeah. So then they kind of picked it up. So I do pull that every once in a while. Yeah. Well done, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> I just keep it in my back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Just pull it out every once in a while mm-hmm. when you need to. Yeah. When I need kind to. Perspective. That's per- right. Perspective. Perspective. That's so good. So I have a couple more questions, Abby. Mm-hmm. I have so loved um, having this conversation with you. Could you kind of offer some encouragement to someone who has recently received a, a really scary diagnosis? Um. I've thought about this as I just, I just said a good friend of mine had a cancer diagnosis. Thankfully, you know, she was able to get hers taken care of quickly and, and, and they're just going to keep an eye on her, but just being there, you know, just being there for, for the person. Um, I think about anybody who's, who's facing a, a diagnosis like this, that, that they just, you know, try to be positive. If you're, you know, you're going to go, you know, to your doctor's appointments, write out your questions ahead of time. Because honestly, there are a couple of times that I think my brain just completely just shut down. Um, in, in, and I'm having these important conversations with my doctors and I'm really supposed to be paying attention and just the room goes, you know, it's your brain just goes dark um, and you leave there and it's like, what did they, I think that was important. I think I should know that. So taking somebody with you or um, writing down your questions, writing down the answers, just trying to be recorded if they'll allow you to do that. And then for somebody to be supportive of someone who is going through and not telling them necessarily that everything's going to be okay because you don't know that. Yeah. You know, telling them that, that, you'll be there and how can I help and what can I do for, and being specific, not just, 
Well, you let me know oh, if I you need that. anything. Yeah, you let me know. Because who's going to, I'm yeah, I'm going to call you up and I'm going to say, you know, bring me dinner tonight. Nobody's going to, you know, but, but being specific, if you can say to, you know, your friend, I'm going to bring you dinner on Wednesday night and this is what it's going to be and I'll drop it off at six o'clock. Okay, thank you. You know, mm-hmm. it, that is so appreciated. I had a dear friend who sent flowers the day of my last radiation. That was neat. Have solid support all the way through it. Right, right. Not yeah. that you're forgotten and your fight, you know, to know that your fight isn't forgotten and that it is significant. And it has been, it has been hard. And even though you don't necessarily want to be recognized as, you know, this is my identity. I am a cancer survivor. Right. Um, That is one aspect of my life to know that this isn't the defining thing about me, but to know that having that support from, from those that you love after you have a life altering event like Mm -hmm. this, obviously it's not just a, okay, I found out that I had cancer and now we're going to take care of it all in one day. Right. Right. So it's a, it's a long process. Were there things during that time that helped you to keep going? Just notes. Another thing that my colleagues at school did was write me little notes that I could, I I put them in a jar so I could pull them out whenever I needed them. That was Oh, that was cool. really nice too. My colleagues at school also had t-shirts made that said Team Abby on them with Charlie Brown and the Peanuts gang on the front. So that was really sweet. And just, just you know, and they'd wear those shirts. They still wear those shirts every once in a while. You know, one of them will wear one of the Team Abby shirts. So that's pretty neat too. Um, my church family, definitely after this last surgery, you know, they were here every other night <laughs> bringing us dinner. And that was really sweet. Very, very appreciated. This has just been so great <laughs> to just sit and talk with you. Is there anything else nice. that you want to add or, or include? Um, I would just say anybody who is listening, do yourself breast exams, you know, and, and if you do feel something, don't wait, you know, go get it checked out. That's so important because I don't know, maybe you could prevent, you know, having it go into your lymph nodes and having the, you know, the lymphedema. I mean, you can just, if you can, if you can catch something early, then you don't have all of those horrible, you know, things that linger. Um, because that's something that I'll have for the rest of my life. It's not just, um, it was made, it was made better by my reconstructive surgery. I don't have to wear my sleeve every day anymore, which is another high point. Um, but those things are forever. If you can catch those things early, why wouldn't you, you know? Right. And I think for women, especially, you know, young women who, you know, are under 50 years old, 
right. they're juggling so many things yes. and it's so easy to put yourself on the back burner because, mm-hmm. you know, my family, my family needs this and mm-hmm. I have to do this and I owe this to someone and I have, you know, mm-hmm. all of the reasons, but I mean, who's going to do all those things if you don't take care of yourself? Exactly. Yeah. If you're down, then who's going to, who's going to run the ship? Cause quite honestly, yeah, <laughs> we know who runs this ship. <laughs> So, and, and get your, you know, mammograms, but don't just rely. And I don't want to scare anybody, but just because you get the smiley face on your mammogram little report, do yourself breast exams, you know, be proactive. Yeah. Right. Understand what your body is. Understand. Yeah. Understand what's going on because it can get away from you. Yeah. Abby, I am so glad that things are not as scary as they were just yes. a few years ago for you. And I'm so glad that things are looking up and that you agreed to have this conversation with me. Thank you yes, so much. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's been absolutely. nice. Yeah, it is. It's so nice to just sit and have a real conversation about really tough things. Thank you so much, Abby. You guys, yes. thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Bee Podcast. We will catch you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Bee Podcast. Make certain to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Screenshot this episode and share to your social media to bring awareness to this project. Share and join our community on Facebook. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next time for more inspiring stories told by real women. Wishing you peace and love. I'm Cami Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.